You're listening to Phanalysis, a science fiction and fantasy podcast. In this episode, we are talking about The Hundred, episode 309, Stealing Fire. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Dawson. This episode was not a fun watch. I'm just going to say it right off the bat. Agreed. It's, we'll all just accept it right here, right now. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. So we actually got a tweet from somebody questioning why we're still watching. So I wanted to start off talking about why we are still watching. And also to clarify that for me, at least watching and discussing something is not the same as supporting it because this person seemed upset that we were supporting the show, but we're not necessarily. I feel like supporting is is a it's a word that means certain things to certain people. And I actually think one of the best things you can do for a show that is having issues is to be frank about the issues the show is having, right? And that's something that that you see regularly. And you know, you don't only review things you love, right? That's not yes, it's not how it works. <laughs> and the opportunity to to talk about the things that are that are good and bad in something, to me at least, is is a way actually of supporting the furthering of any form of of entertainment in our in our culture. And the thing about this show specifically is, it started off pretty good, like. Season two, I thought, was a really solid, well-told story. And so even though I find a lot of stuff this season questionable, I know that they are capable of doing a better, more cohesive, less offensive story. (laughs) So I want to see where this is going, is part of what it is. Yeah, I I live with that rule of like, I'll give them through the end of the season, you know? (laughs) Like, I want to see where it goes. Because when you're in the middle of a story, it's hard to, right? I don't know. I think we can. I think we can pretty assuredly say that there are definitely some issues in 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 this story. But giving it giving it a chance through the end of the tale, I think is that's important to me. I want to see. I want to see how it all pans out, and then to be able to discuss it. Right. That's exactly that's what entertainment is about. And it's like, what is it that happens later in the season that they thought doing this horrible thing was a good idea? Right. 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 I want to see if they have some reason. Yeah. Which maybe they do. Who knows? Also, I'm still invested in most of the characters. So, look, if you <laughs> listened to our last episode about the show, you know that Clark Griffin is is my my main character. Clark is is Clark is the reason I still watch the show. I love a lot of the other characters too. I love Raven. I love Octavia. I love I love Kane. Right, but I'm I, as long as Clark's still on the show, I'm probably still going to watch it. That's the thing. <laughs> Same here. I mean, I'm right there with you, man. Although I'd throw Abby in there, too. I love Abby a lot. Oh, yeah. Also, last point before we move on to actually discussing this episode. To me, like, if we stop watching problematic shows, we will have to stop watching everything. Agreed. So it's better to watch it and talk about why things are problematic and hope that they do better. Yeah. I mean, I at one point I wrote about on Tumblr this idea of rather than sort of telling someone they've done something problematic and walking away, the opportunity to step closer and to engage in dialogue and to have that discussion, I think is 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 a good one. And all shows, every single one, right? We live in a flawed society. All shows have issues. Just, you know, if you just follow the news, you can you can watch all of the all of the queer women on TV dying <laughs> um one right after another. And I don't, you know, there are not many shows kind of escaping from from the struggles that we that we inherently have culturally. And so I think to engage with those things and talk about those things is actually a really positive way to to deal with that. Right. 
And as always, your mileage may vary, but that's us explaining our intent. Those are our reasons. Yes. You'll have to make your decisions for yourselves about how you want to engage and proceed. Okay, so moving on to episode 309, Stealing Fire. We're going to format this episode a little bit differently. We're going to talk about things we liked and why, and then things we didn't like and why. So I'm just going to say, as far as things I liked, even though I hated the events that led up to it, I really want to know more. I want to see more of Clark as Flamekeeper. I thought that was an interesting plot twist. I was really surprised. I, I think I said... In our episode about 13, about 307, I said it doesn't seem like Clark would be the Flamekeeper because that seems like a secondary kind of role, but it looks like that's the route they're going. And I mean, no role you give Clark is ever going to be secondary. She's the lead in the show, so it will obviously become a primary role. But I agree. I think it's such a, it's an interesting, I love how, I love how messy and human it is all tied up with her grief over Alexa and, Mm -hmm. you know, Titus was like, a religious leader who who did this because it was his duty. But Clark is very obviously, you know, a woman who was in love and the person she loved is in that <laughs> is in the flame. Uh, I'm having a lot of feelings that that scene of Clark stopping as uh. she's riding through the forest and checking to make sure it's still there. Uh, it's a it's a good scene. It kind of breaks my heart, though. Yeah. And the the that moment came as they they lit the funeral pyres, right? So as Lexa, you know, Clark is holding on to the piece of Lexa that's left, I think, and that's incredibly emotional <laughs> and upsetting and really really special, I think. That piece of the story I think is very to me at least is very precious. Yes. Um that exploration of grief and and how we how we deal with it. Because, I mean, Clark is potentially holding Lexa's legacy right there, right? I mean, and yeah. that's her job now, even if the next commander dies. And I'm just making myself sadder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the idea of, I mean, listen, in the episode where Clark convinces Lexa not to destroy Sky Crew after they've murdered <laughs> 300 peacekeeping soldiers. Lexa and Clark kind of birth this legacy together. And then it carries on, right? When Clark lets Emerson go to just be banished and not, and not kill him in revenge for the mountain, the two of them sort of birthed this legacy together of blood must not have blood. And Clark becoming the flame keeper and, you know, (laughs) She she takes that legacy and, and is moving forward with it. And I'm interested to see how this changes her. I think it, and in fact, I'm pretty sure Eliza Taylor said this in a couple of interviews at WonderCon, that it, this is going to permanently change her. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested to see how that manifests and what that becomes. I mean, Clark will is and always has been my favorite character and will be probably forever. So I'm super excited to see where that goes. And I get emotional just thinking about it, where Clark tucks the flame back in back next to her heart that's she's literally (laughs) has that legacy like pressed to her heart and is carrying it with her that's the way you put it my friends put it she's keeping lexa in the good earth cleavage yeah i'm aware that that is also (laughs) (laughs) 
out there. So for whether you're looking for feelings or or a good laugh, um, <laughs> you can imagine both those things. They're both A plus descriptions, I think. <laughs> I like yours better, but you know, to each of their own. <laughs> I'm always gonna opt for emotional. <laughs> it's just in my nature. Not that I don't enjoy a good laugh, but also it's in my nature to delve into the messy humanity of it. That's my it's my jam, yo. <laughs> So the next thing I wanted to talk about is that Antari seems like she's going to be a good villain, by which I mean she is despicable. Yeah. (laughs) She's so scary. Can I just say it's weird that someone so tiny is so scary? (laughs) She's, She's utterly terrifying. I mean, she's, to me, at least Antari is the thing that I imagined naya was going to be when when they announced brenda strong was going to be playing her i imagined that sort of like long-term terrifying awful sort of villain yeah and then naya died really abruptly after one episode but you know antari was hanging out with naya so naya's legacy lives on i guess for sure yeah yeah so much of this actually that hadn't even occurred to me so much of this story lately has been about legacy right that there's Lexa's legacy and there's Naya's legacy with Antari and the sort of Pike versus Kane, you know, who's gonna who's gonna determine the legacy of those people and that's interesting. Interesting legacy stuff. Yeah, I agree, Antari is terrifying. She's tiny and scary, and I sort of love that about her. And so speaking of my friends, the same friends who were talking about good earth cleavage, one of them mentioned during the episode, because we we message each other during the episode to cope really so my friend laura snodgrass all caps tweets those are lex's candles you animal and i laughed and laughed and told her i was going to quote her in the podcast during the bath scene i feel like that's important to note yes it was during (laughs) the bath scene in because she's in lex's room she's in lex's room in lex's bath surrounded by lex's candles how dare you (laughs) So, I mean, thank you, Laura. <laughs> thank you, sacrilege. Laura, for saying that. Laura, I'm still laughing about it. I just heard about it this morning from Chris. So shout out to Laura for pointing out the the horrible blasphemy of that. Yes. How dare she? As if she wasn't terrible enough already. As if she hadn't murdered children and <laughs> attempted to kill Clark and generally been awful already. Yep. I think the best part to come out of all this, right? Octavia and Indra come swooping into town. Bellamy's chained up in the cave. And the the horn blows. And Indra knows then that the commander has... A new commander has ascended. Which I try not to think too much about the idea of Indra realizing at that moment for the first time that Lexa is dead. Because that's a horrible thing <laughs> to think about. Trying not to tear up. Yeah. That's how Indra finds out in a cave with Bellamy, of all people. And, you know, she goes to leave. She has to go back to her people, which mm, Lexa's dead. I mean, I think I would I would have to do that, too. And Bellamy says, you know, this just like at the mountain, you'll always maybe Octavia will see now you'll always choose choose your people first. And Indra's line, man, Octavia is my people. I love it. that. That was such a lovely character moment. Indra and Octavia are so good together. 
Octavia forever has been looking for her people, for her place in the world, and has never felt like she had one. And Indra, Indra has given her one. And that, to me, is incredibly powerful and really, really awesome to watch. It's like in season two when Indra says, you know, Octavia come tree crew. Yes. It's like that, but taking it a step further. Like, it's implied there, but she's outright saying it here. And I hope Bellamy tells Octavia. I know he's not going to, probably. Say, you know he won't. But, <laughs> like, I, I just, it makes me sad that Octavia didn't get to hear Indra say that. Yeah. Yet, anyway. Hopefully we'll get that later in the season. That's my hope. And speaking of Octavia, the other thing that I really, really loved in this episode was Octavia leading the rebel exodus. I like Octavia's character progress this season, that she is becoming more more of a leader, more active in the events that are going on. And, and that this season, especially, they're sort of utilizing how she grew up in an interesting way. Because we actually literally see her popping up out of a floorboard, which of course was the thing that plagued her the entire first 16 years of her life. So that she's doing it sort of triumphantly now is kind of awesome. Because she pops up from the floorboard and like pulls out two huge weapons. (laughs) In true Octavia Blake fashion. (laughs) (laughs) Octavia Blake slash Sarah Connor. (laughs) Indeed. Okay. But can you imagine Marie Avdropoulos as Sarah Connor? I'm just going to, like, put that mental image out there for I people to now. enjoy. <laughs> I like it. Octavia's arc has been really spectacular through the whole show. And then, I agree, this season I think they've done some really great stuff with her. She has that wonderful scene with Bellamy where he says, you know, you need me. And she goes, for the first time in my life, no, I don't. Yeah. And I just, I love to see her really coming into her own of all the characters, it seems like Octavia really learns to live into herself through right. the season, and that's really spectacular to see and to watch. Yeah, because really in the past seasons, it's been about the struggle to find where she belongs, and the season's more having a definitive purpose. Yeah, very much. This is who I am. I love it. So now let's talk about things we didn't like. Oh, boy. And I feel like everybody knows where this is going. Because there's a lot of basically shock value death in this episode, and I'm mad about it. (sighs) Because, I mean, death on the 100 isn't anything new. I don't think anybody's surprised when people die. And I, I kind of wonder, is that the reason that all the deaths this season, all the major deaths have been shock value deaths? Do you think? That's a good question. I, I thought about that the other day, actually. There is sort of some sense of like when you kill off characters all the time, you have to find some way to make it fresh and new for lack of a better. God, that's so terrible. It's so gross. <laughs> that's such an awful thing, right? And but I mean, that's the reality of it, right? Is that at some point, if you kill off your characters all the time, people become numb to it. And so now like they it's like they keep escalating the awfulness of it. Yeah. I I guess so that people aren't numb to it. It was actually I think it was maybe on a panel I was on at Dragon Con a couple years ago. I I was ranting about character death because I feel like it's so overdone at this point that it would kind of be more of a an interesting plot twist to not kill off your characters. 
which is awful. Like, that's awful. But I feel like that's where we are in current TV culture. But anyway, but that's a side point and not specifically about this show. But the thing is, as I mentioned, like, death on this show isn't anything new, but the way those deaths are carried out really matters. And I have I take such issue with the way that the show is doing it this season. Because they just they feel to me too much like cruelty, both to the characters and to the viewers. Yeah, I I totally agree. There's a few components to that, I think. The first one is that I personally am you're gonna kill off characters. Right, if that's a, th- a common thing you're going to do, and listen, the hundred is a post-apocalyptic world where people die a lot. That's fine, I get that. Sure, if you're going to kill off characters, it should have the right payoff. It should have the kind of gravitas. It should take episodes of of buildup, right? <laughs> and there's none of that in this season. It's it's really just. I mean, you had Gina, who we barely knew, who was fridged for Bellamy to have a reason to be the way he is, although he's never mentioned her ever again. So that didn't really work out. Um, You have Lexa who was, you know, shocking stray bullet moment, quote, I'm quote air quoting around shocking. You can't see that, but that's what I'm doing. This moment of literally a shock value death. And then you, you have Lincoln who, you know, everybody knew he was going to die. I don't think there was anybody, like, we all knew Ricky was leaving the show, right? <laughs> I think that was a pretty yeah. well-known yeah. fact. And, and I don't think anyone was surprised that he was going to die. But then I suppose maybe because everybody knew they had the desire to make it, I don't know, have a lasting impression, which is such a horrific thing even to say that if that was the conversation you were having, you're doing character death wrong, right? Like... <laughs> The way you make character death powerful is not in how you shoot the death. It's in how you tell their story before they die. Yeah, I mean, I do want to differentiate here. I don't mean shock value in the fact that you don't necessarily see it coming because, right. yeah, we we knew that Lincoln was going to die. I've been talking to my friends who are still catching up on the show. One of them the whole time, I think, has been like, I'm worried about Lincoln. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you should be. Because, again, it's this show where if you're a peace-loving character or something like that, you're going to get killed, basically. That's a thing that is happening a lot. But (sighs) there's actually a really good post on Tumblr about this, and I will post a link in the show notes. But they were comparing the scene of Lincoln getting shot to a scene that that was in the episode of Underground that aired the same week. Oh, I saw that post. It was a really good post. It is, which is why I'm going to link to it. But they were talking about how those scenes are framed. And it is like, it's so important. And I don't know why they decided to film it the way they did. Because it just seems so unnecessary that they filmed it the way they did. I'm 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 going to come right out and be and I try to be super frank about what I think about things. I found this episode horribly crass, to be honest. Yes. Crass is an excellent word for it. There's no situation where you should have an episode of TV where you have someone hack off the heads of children, no matter whether or not. If And if you have to frame something out in order to not be too shocking, you should be rethinking that in the first place. I was actually going to ask you, because you were at WonderCon when they aired this. Mm-hmm. Was it blocked off the same way? Yes. Okay. Yes. They clearly intentionally framed it so that we didn't see... 
And this, it's so hard to, it's even hard to talk about. And I have to assume it must have been hard to talk about in the room when they were talking about doing it. And if, if it's hard to talk about, you might be going the wrong direction for what you're putting on TV. So they literally framed out, and I, I, this is so horrific to have to say, they framed it in such a way as to not show Aiden's severed head. They're, they showed the side of it. They showed like his face was in frame. Yeah. And and you get and you ha- then you have to have a character identify him right because you have him off screen because you don't want to show the severed head of a child but not showing it doesn't mean you didn't tell a story with the severed head of heads of children and then show an incredibly graphic execution in the mud <laughs> in the rain I just the whole thing the whole episode felt incredibly there. <laughs> Well, not the whole episode. Obviously, I talked about things I loved, right? I loved a lot of the stuff with Clark. I loved the emotion. I loved the grief. I loved those stories. But the fact that that's the way it begins and ends. Right. Even Titus's death, I thought, was incredibly crass, right? Just like blood and gore. And that's that's the whole the whole episode is just very crass about these really horrific things. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm not down with that. <laughs> yep. I mean, there's always been some of it. In the show. I mean, Wells getting his throat slit and his fingers cut off in episode three. Sure. That was horrifying, too. And rather crass to me also. But the pervasiveness of it in this episode is mind-boggling. Like, I don't understand how they thought that was a good idea. Yeah. And we're back to shock value. Yeah, they they thought it was a good idea because it it's it's quote unquote shocking right i mean that's that's why that's why you that's why you do it that way it's a and i agree with you about wells death i actually think i also found wells death incredibly crass but one of the things this is something i've considered writing about and just haven't bothered to do it to be honest because it's depressing but one of the things i think is important to note is that there is a certain level at which you cross over the line from making a statement to (laughs) being crass, right? So part of Wells' death and the way it was done was it was intended to be shocking. It was so early in the show mm-hmm. that it was intended to be horrific. It was, it was. I mean, he's he's killed by a young girl over what is essentially a misunderstanding. It's intended to be horrific and to be read that way. And I think part of the struggle for me is, and I, I, I at least felt like, and people are welcome to disagree with me, I felt like they honored that in that episode and in the subsequent episodes, they honored that that was horrific. And that it was a story about how horrific it was. It wasn't a story about heroism. It wasn't a story about self-sacrifice. It was a story about how horrific that is. Because they played it against Clark mercy killing Adam. Right. That to me, one, because they had not yet reached sort of the volume of, of mass murder. Of mass murder, right? Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> volume matters, right? The, the the story itself has a context. And at the place we're at in this story, with everything that has come before, and then to do to do all three of, you know, to do all of those things in one episode is really pretty, to me, is pretty crass. Like, the volume matters. The amount of it matters. One, because you cannot properly honor a death when there's a bunch of horrific things happening all at once, right? There's no space for those things to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. I cite this example all the time, but 
I always think of The Walking Dead, right? The first major zombie killing of The Walking Dead is is Rick mercy killing the one zombie. Right. And I thought that was so interesting and, you know, like, oh, it's about compassion and humanity and stuff. And I had to stop watching The Walking Dead because it just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, you're, you, you've, you've much more succinctly, I think, <laughs> hit upon my point, which is that there is a difference between deaths that are truly shocking and horrific. And that the, the problem is when you do them in volume, they can, the, you have effectively eliminated any ability for those things to have the space to be actually really shocking and actually really horrific because you've, you've numbed your audience and clearly numbed yourself. And that's, that to me seems like the bigger issue here is that at some point, somewhere along the work in this season, there was a certain level of numbness to the amount of horrific things you were going to put on screen. And I, I don't think that's ever a good thing. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things I feel like they're probably trying to go for a thing. We were talking in our the two episodes that we just did that covered 301 through 306, how basically Asgeta and um, Pike's farm station faction were sort of being paralleled as the aggressive factions of each group. And so I think they're basically trying to further that idea of paralleling the people, right? Because they're they both slaughtered the peacekeeping people within their groups. But I just, I think that's what they were thinking. And that is what happened, but the way everything happened. And just, I, I'm just so frustrated at this point. I'm going to say a thing that, I don't know, people might argue with. This is my take on storytelling. If you're going to tell a powerful story, the story shouldn't be about the death. The story should be about everything that comes before that. And that for me is the real struggle is that Lincoln's death in particular, it was all focused on the actual act of his dying. And especially, you know, especially the way it was framed and, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into the politics of that of like black man on his knees being shot by another black man. Like I'm going to get into it. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to get into it like in this thing that I'm talking about right now, but the, but what I'm talking about right now is, is that idea of the power of Wells death came because of what happened with Adam and what happened with Charlotte and her trauma and, you know, (laughs) the, what, what amounts to a really poor miscommunication between her and Bellamy. And that was where the story's power was. The story's power isn't in the act of dying, right? And and to me, there's such a glorification of that this season, and I'm really struggling with that. There's such a, you know, the, these, this incredibly dramatic martyrdom death that Titus has. Again, very glorification of his death without any real addressing, like they basically make him this this martyr, but they don't address any of his like massive issues, really. Same thing with Lincoln, right? This incredibly brutal, gruesome scene that doesn't really honor any of of what he's done before and and why he's doing this. You know, it's just all focused on his the actual act of his death. And that to me is such a that's a mistake, right? To think that the power is in that. It's not. That's just <laughs> that's just gruesome. It's just crass. Right. Um I mean, if they wanted to make it matter, why was it not more about the fact that 
Lincoln was willing to sacrifice himself for the others. It wasn't about that. By the time they actually had Pike execute him. Right. That was so horrifying. It just became about that. Yeah. And that's, you know, the same thing with sort of, you get that with, with Antari and the, the other Nightbleeder is, you know, they, <laughs> you have this beautiful scene of, of imagining, you know, Lexa making them all vow to protect Sky Crew, right? And you have these, mm-hmm. these moments, but then you chop off their heads and you've effectively erased and you, and you shoot that, you put that on TV <laughs> and you've erased the power of what came before because all you, now all you see is sort of the brutality and, and the gruesome visuals that were presented. And again, they're going for the shock value. Right. But right. the shock value kind of overrides in a bad way the story. The important stuff. Yeah. The important parts. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, talking about the various character deaths. Also, compare it to Finn, right? They killed Finn in season two, but they gave him his own episode yeah. that talked about all of his backstory that led up to his being sacrificed for the greater good, essentially. But we didn't get that for anybody who died in this episode. No. And in fact, we've barely seen Lincoln all this season. Yep. <laughs> Which is a point of frustration for me anyway, because I love Lincoln. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I feel like there's been a, there's a new sort of numbness. The, the hundred has talked frequently about when people die on the hundred, they're dead, right? It's not that kind of sci-fi show. And they've talked frequently about that. And I think if you're going to do that, that that's awesome because it's an important story to tell, but also you have to, then you cannot treat those things lightly. You can't cram horrific deaths. You can't cram several horrific deaths into one episode, right? If you're going to really do that, you have to honor those people and those stories and care for those characters in the same way they would have they they did for Finn, right? And they did for for Wells. They even did it for that one the the one father who sacrificed himself among the 320 people who You're right. Wow. died on the ark. Like he got more significant screen time in that episode than Lincoln did in this one. Yes, you are so right. That's Wow, I hadn't thought of that. I'm I'm mad, show. As as we should be. As we should be. I mean, I think the hardest thing for me is that at I you know, I said this to you Chris before we started recording. The hardest thing for me is that at this stage they're they're losing me, right? And they're losing me as an audience member because there are a thousand and one grim dark everything is terrible everybody's going to die shows on TV and I don't watch those shows because I'm not interested in that story I have always watched the 100 because it is a show about hope and it is a show about humanity it is a show about forgetting the hope part because I've had a lot of people debate that with me I think up until we hit some of the rockier parts of the season it was a it it had a show that was infused with a lot of hope even if it wasn't, it was a show that was infused with a lot of humanity, right? Which is what, when you talk about, like, even even the, the random dad, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. had this humanity about him that then when he died, that resonated for us. And that was meaningful for us. And it was about the depths of of the humanness of this these people who, yes, they die. And yes, it's terrible. But... But the humanity of them was so beautiful. And and I feel like that's miss that's been missing this entire season. Just in terms of the story, I feel like that's been missing this entire season. It's become about I mean, it's very clear that it's about this plot line, right, that they want to get out and they want to talk about extremism and they want to kind of set up the political landscapes and 
But at its core, if it's not about the humanity, then it's not the show I signed up for. And I feel like we've really lost that in season three. And it bums me out because I loved that. Right. It's always been about the moral struggle of having to make these decisions about who lives and who dies. Yes. That was the thing that got me really interested in the show. Like, it's it's very philosophical about it. And it just hasn't been, for the most part, for the deaths this season. Yeah. Agreed. There has been that aspect, but that was always, you know, like the the exchanges between Clark and Lexa, they were often about those decisions having to be made. Yeah. But then they killed Lexa and replaced her with Antari, who apparently has no such issues. So there's your <laughs> there's your absence of hope right there. Yeah. Yeah. L- like, they've literally killed off those aspects of the show and replaced them with things that are not. And I... I- you know, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give it to the end of the season. I'm going to see where it goes. Maybe it gets better. Maybe we, maybe hope returns. Maybe humanity returns. I don't know, but. Maybe Luna is hope. Maybe, maybe. But I feel like it's, it, it, at this stage for me, it's gone way off the rails in terms of what I signed up to watch because I can, you know, like you, Chris, I'm like, I don't watch the fear of the walking or I don't watch the walking dead. You know, I don't watch walking dead because the death is gratuitous and dull to me. Like there's no humanity in that. And I want to show about humanity. That's what I'm looking for. Yep. So yeah, it's we'll see where it goes. Maybe it gets better. I I hope springs eternal. <laughs> yep. Okay. I promised Stephanie I was going to talk about the the issues with racism on this show because <sighs> this show has always been problematic about its portrayal of race. It just always has. Yes. I mean, they've got a fairly diverse cast, which good for them, but let's talk about their diverse cast, okay? Because <laughs> Wells gets killed off in episode three. Mm-hmm. In a death that isn't about him. Mm-hmm. The somewhat literal whipping boy and girl of this show have been Lincoln and Raven. Mm-hmm. And then, since we're talking about Lincoln, let's talk about how he died, because I just, who thought that was okay? <sighs> that, the way they had it the way they framed it i don't i don't understand what any of them were thinking or if they were thinking the only thing i can assume is that the desire was to make a commentary on yeah i don't see i say that but <laughs> but not really because i don't even know I can't help with this one. I don't know. <laughs> I'm baffled. And I mean, to make it worse, they've got like a black man shooting another black man in the head right. execution style. And we see everything and it's in slow motion. And I just don't understand how that got past everybody as being okay. Lincoln is literally put down like a dog in the dirt. And there's really, there's kind of no excuse for that, you know? knowing the racial issues that exist in our culture and in our particularly in the US to to set it up that way and have it play out that way this was weirdly it was the same thing everybody was saying about Lexa's death right is how did you not realize that you are playing directly into something that's not okay mm-hmm. for the queer community right this is the same thing right how do you not realize that you are setting up a shot and a scene that is so fundamentally not okay, given the cultural reality of our world. Right. The excuse is always like, well, this world isn't that world, or this world isn't our world. But like, your show is still airing in our world. Right. 
Right. Those of us who are watching this show do not live in your world where these things don't exist. Yeah. It'd be nice, but we don't. No, we have to live with these things as realities in our everyday lives. And I just... Why? Why? I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's a case of, of buying too much into your own shows. Like when you live and breathe those worlds, maybe you get a little blind to to the larger context you live in. But I mean, you work in TV, guys. Like, how can, you can't be blind to the larger context we live in. Like, you have to be aware of those things and you have to be more responsible about it. That's the thing that always gets me. I mean, even if you somehow miss it, why would you not make an effort to understand it? Yeah. If you're going to portray it, you should probably try to understand it. Agreed. Just say. And that seems to be a chronic, there's a chronic issue with that, that we are, we are seeing. And mm-hmm. this show, I mean, this show has always had, like you said, it's always had issues with race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like the whole way they've othered the grounders, like that alone is its own episode, which. Yeah. But I'm trying to keep this short. But anyway, last thing that we'll talk about for things we didn't like this episode. And this is a fairly minor thing compared to the other things, but where the heck are Raven and Jaha? Because are they somehow existing in their own city of light bubble where they just don't (laughs) care about what is actually going on? Yeah, we literally didn't see them at all. We spent all that time in Arcadia. I'm glad we saw Abby finally, because where was Abby before? But yes. But it makes no sense to me that Raven and Jaha are nowhere to be seen when they're, there's like a m- massive uprising and executions and stuff happening in Arcadia. Like, do they do they not care? The compartmentalization of the storylines in this show has been an ongoing problem. We talked about this with there was Jaha and Murphy on their way to like so much so that we forgot to talk about <laughs> right. Jaha and the city of light Jaha and Alley for well there's we too much to other stuff that's going on right that they were so siloed off that we didn't you know they weren't knitted in as part of the story and and then you ran into that again with Murphy and Imori and then again with the storylines happening in Arcadia seeming to be untouched completely by what's happening in Polis and and there was just a real lack of cohesion to the different storylines They've been very, very siloed. And this feels like that again, where it's like, okay, but we're in this, we're in Arcadia and Raven and Jaha and Ali are here somewhere. So are they just not paying attention or? (laughs) They couldn't afford to have them in this episode because they had to spend all their money on effects of killing people. Oof. I'm so bitter. Can you that tell was, how bitter I am? That was salty. That was some good solid salt right there. I mean, for good reason. I'm that's not a judgment. I was that was a tone of admiration. <laughs> I, I got your tone of admiration. <laughs> the problem is, you're not wrong. <laughs> I know. And that's that's the struggle, right? Is like, why is so much of your story why has it become so much about these quote unquote shocking deaths? Like, just stop. That's not <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some people are watching the show and love it, but I don't. That's not what I signed on to the show for. We did love it, and now we want it to be better. Yeah, I mean, I well, I think part of the problem maybe is that. So I'm like, I'm I'm always trying to get inside people's heads. Maybe a part of the problem is that the weighty and shocking deaths in seasons one and two did garner some praise in that they are very intense, right? And they are very there's a lot of pathos and there's a lot of emotion in those things. 
But the problem is the reason those things have pathos and emotion is because you don't do three of them in one episode. <laughs> you know, it's it's because they're not cheap. Because you spent the entire episode talking about Finn's background. Right. So it actually feels significant when Clark has to kill him. Exactly. It's not and and I I this is the word I'm going with. It's not cheap. Right. It's about the emotion of it. Yes. You need to invest the time and story to make it. And it's going to, it is, it is emotion, um, story wise, it is very costly. It requires story capital to earn those moments. And every single death in this show in season three has felt unearned to me. That's what I'm going with. Unearned. And on that note, if you have any feedback that you would like to share with us about this now episode, that we trashed the show, <laughs> about our episode or the episode of the hundred. Again, we just want you to do better. Yeah. <laughs> the hundred. Do better. Yes. We really loved season one and two. Do better. <laughs> <laughs> if you have thoughts or feelings or whatever that you'd like to send us, there are a number of ways. Please go ahead and send them. You can call us at 972-514-7223 and leave us a voice message. You can also record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us at feedback at askgenretv.com. You can also just send us an email if you're more of a text person. We're also on Twitter at AskGenreTV. Show notes for this episode are available at AskGenreTV.com slash fan6. Thank you so much for joining us. Sorry about all the complaining. My name is Chris. I'm Dawson. Thank you for listening. <laughs>